This morning we're going to continue our series of uh, discussing one another Christianity. We began last week with, uh, what did we talk about last week? The need for each other, why we need each other, why Christianity is an inherently social thing. We're going to continue this week talking about some negative things. This is sort of the theme verse in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A couple of things I want to highlight about this, and we're going to probably read this text every week in this series, because two things. One, it's a commandment. Actually, there's three things. It's a commandment. Right? This is not an optional extra to love one another. Uh, so if you're trying to do Christianity by yourself then one, you're not around other people to love, so you're not doing the commandment there. But if you are if you are in this group and you're not having love for one another, then you're violating the command. Secondly, he gave us an example of how to do that, right? As I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then finally, the importance of it, why? By this they will know that you are my disciples. Who's they? The world. Uh, all people those who are not Christians, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus, they will know that we belong to Jesus in part, why? By the love that we have for one another. So if we're not loving one another, they're not going to know that we're his disciples. I don't know what they're going to think, but it's not going to, they're not going to think that we belong to Jesus if we don't have love for one another. So the importance of the discussion this morning. Now, this week I want to look at the opposites of our responsibility towards each other, and consider what the Bible says will destroy this part of our Christianity. What will destroy our unity, our love for one another? What destroys each other? That's what I want to look at this week. So we'll begin with number one, is our attitudes. How we think about one another, the way we think about each other, has a lot to do with our fulfillment of John 13, the command to love one another, that begins in the mind and in the heart and what we think about one another, doesn't it? Let's read a couple verses. Romans 12, 14 through 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. What does haughty mean? Have you ever used haughty in conversation? When was the last time you used haughty outside of a church building? Probably never. What does that mean? Arrogant, right? Do not be prideful. Do not think that you are better than other people, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The first thing that will destroy our unity with one another is arrogance, right? The minute I start thinking I'm better than you, the minute I start thinking I'm, I'm all that, I'm the best thing there is, I'm the best person in this church, the minute we start thinking that way, it's going to begin to corrode our love for one another. You're never going to measure up to me. You're never going to be as good as me. You're never going to be as righteous as me. And before you know it, who's the one that's unrighteous? Well, it's not you, right? It's me who's being arrogant and haughty and, and not associating with the lowly. What does lowly mean in this text? Lowly could be a number of different things. Those who are less monetarily fortunate than you. Those who are socially outcast. Those who are not rich in the blessings of this world. Those who perhaps have some sort of ailment that impairs their ability to, to function. That's the lowly. And yet we just want to spend time with people who are 
like us or people, the, the sort of popular people, right? And churches are not immune to cliques. You, you, you think about any high school in the country, the cliques that form, there's the popular table and the nerdy table and the jock table and the whatever table. We do that in the church if we're not careful. Do not be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Not thinking too much of ourselves. That will destroy the church. Let's read another verse. 2 Corinthians 10, 9 through 12. I do not want to appear to be frightening with frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is of no account. What is he saying there? Paul obviously was really good at speaking and writing, but he was sort of a weakling. You get the impression he was sort of a weakling in, in presence. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when, our, when we are absent, we do when in present, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. And what seemed to be happening is there were various teachers in the church uh, who were saying, oh, have you seen that Paul? He's so weak. He's so sickly. He's so, uh, such a weak person. His speech is of no account. They were comparing themselves to him, right? But he's saying, look, my letters are awesome. I, I am writing truth. I am writing weighty things. But he didn't want to fall into that trap too of comparing himself to the other teachers when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. This sort of ties into what we were talking about in the previous verse. If you want to destroy the unity of the church, start comparing yourself to one another. I have more money than you. I am smarter than you. I am better looking than you. Not that I, those things are clearly not true. I am more humble than you. I have done more good things than you. And we could just list on and on and on and on. What does he say? When we start measuring ourselves against each other, we are without understanding. Because fundamentally, it doesn't matter if I'm better or worse than you. What matters is what? Am I better or worse than the Chris of last week? Am I better or worse than the Chris of last month? or even two minutes ago. Or another way we could compare, how am I measuring up to the example of Christ? That would be a great comparison to make. Am I, am I measuring up to his standard of righteousness and love and truth and mercy and justice, all the various things about Christ's life? How do I compare to him? It doesn't matter what I compare to you. How do I compare to Christ? And I think what we'll find, kind of putting these hand in hand, when we start comparing ourselves against the Christ, We'll see what he was talking about in the previous verse. Oh, I am not measuring up, right? I am not wise. I am, I am lowly comparative to him. That will help us against our arrogance. But once we start to compare one another and measure and, and, and make comparisons between each other, we're not going to do what Jesus says and love one another. Hebrews 10.23, this is another verse we may read every week. It just so happened that he read this verse in the Lord's Supper talk. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We could think arrogantly. I'm better than you. We could start comparing ourselves. I, I'm more righteous than you. Or we could just ignore each other. I don't think about you at all. 
right? That would be another thing that would destroy the unity of the church is if I don't think about you at all, if I neglect you. It's not that I'm arrogant. It's not that I'm comparing myself to you. It's that you never enter my mind. And I never associate with you. And I never wonder about you. And I never care about you. You want to destroy a fellowship? Start ignoring one another. Right? That will lead to disunity just as much as fighting will. It will destroy this group just as much as arrogance will if we neglect and ignore one another. Oh, I did the... Man, Steve, I hit the escape button instead of the forward button again. So frustrating. Thank you. Can't believe... I don't do that as... I I do that more often than I have in the past. Number two, actions. Steve demonstrating his love for me and saving me. Steve's in the media room if you didn't know who that was. Our actions, how we treat one another. So we think about, okay, I'm thinking about you. I'm I'm considering you. I'm not arrogant. I'm considering you in addition to myself. I'm thinking about not just comparing myself to you. I'm comparing myself to Christ. I'm measuring up to Christ. But then how do we put that into practice? Our actions, how do we treat one another? There are some ways we could treat one another that would destroy the fellowship of this group, right? James 4, 11 through 12 Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, we could say. This is the all-inclusive group. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who's that? It's not you. You're not the one who's able to save and destroy. That would be, well, you could say probably the father although we know the Son is going to judge the world as well. What is it we're doing here in this text? Speaking evil against or judging one another. And again, it goes back to the comparison that we were making, right? As we compare ourselves, I'm not, I'm not thinking about comparing myself to you, I'm comparing myself to Christ. And therefore, yes, and we talked about this in class a, a bit, I do need to hold you accountable, because if I'm not, I'm neglecting you, which we previously talked about, right? I'm ignoring you. I can't just ignore you. I do need to think about you. But at the same time, speaking evil against. Did you hear what Matt did this week? The horrible thing that he did. I'm just making that up. Matt didn't do anything. I'm just giving an example. Did you hear what so-and-so did? An awful thing that they did. How could they do that? What a terrible thing. They're just so, and insert whatever insult you want to put there, speaking evil against one another. Well, you know what's going to happen? Matt's going to find out I said that, and it's going to destroy the love that we have for one another because I didn't go to him. Now, even if you think Matt did something wrong, what would be the righteous thing to do? Well, let's go and talk to Matt about the thing. And what's going to happen nine times out of ten is you're going to find out that you misunderstood something. You had a wrong perception or you didn't have all the information. Now, the other one out of ten times, you're going to find out Matt really did a bad thing. But then we'll restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, won't we? Instead of just speaking evil against one another and judging one another. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. 
Now you must put away, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. Christ is all and in all. There's a lot of things in that first part of that text. Some attitudes, some actions. Are we looking for the worst in one another or looking for the best? Is our default assumption that you're clearly doing the wrong thing or is my default assumption, you're in this with me, we're in this together, Christ is in all, we can do this together. Or am I looking for opportunities to put you down and to, I like the word slander here. Am I looking for those opportunities? Now, second thing in this, the lying to one another. You know what destroys trust? Lying. It's not hard to figure out, right? And we could lie about any number of things. We could lie about our own actions. We could lie about things we've heard on the news. We could lie about things that are going on in our lives. We could lie about I could even go so far as to just make up a story about Matt and start spreading around around the church. That would destroy the church if we lie to one another. We need to put this, and what he says here, put all these things away. James 5, 8 through 9, you also be patient. Are you patient with one another? Are you patient with your fellow Christians? Or do you just automatically jump you did that horrible thing and I hate you now. Or is there patience with one another? I would like you to be patient with me. Maybe I should be patient with you. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, so that uh, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Grumbling and complaining. And all of these verses say the same thing, right? Now, it goes without saying. I say that it goes without saying. I should say it. There's a lot of sinful behaviors that will destroy our unity, right? If we steal from one another or cheat one another or commit adultery with one another or any other, other number of sinful behaviors, a lot of sinful things that would destroy our unity. This is in the realm, these things that I've listed are in the realm of, well, maybe this isn't exactly sinful, and so it's more tempting to do it, I think. We all know don't commit adultery. We all know don't cheat, don't steal. We just finished that series on the Ten Commandments. But it's this subtle, insidious temptation to be arrogant, to speak bad of, to complain about, to put down, right? That's what we're talking about here. The way we speak about and speak to one another can either build up or destroy. It can destroy this group of people. Third, our responses. How we react to one another when inevitably, guess what? You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We're going to treat each other badly at some point. If you haven't done it already, I can only imagine that you're a hermit living out in the woods. Okay. If we spend any amount of time with one another, there's going to be conflict. What do we do in response? What's going to destroy the church? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. These are all attitudes that we need to when we treat one another. Bearing with one another. And if any, if, if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. We're going to look at two texts, three texts, I think. 
all with the same idea, because this is, I think, the thing that destroys the church more than anything else, holding grudges. You mistreated me at some point in the past, and I haven't let go, and I just let it fester in my heart like a disease, and it just builds and builds, and I don't like you, and I can't believe you did that, and I won't let it go, and you are just the worst person ever. Isn't that what happens? When we do not let go of each other's mistakes and forgive, if we want this congregation to grow and to thrive and to be in unity, we have to forgive one another because you're going to mess up and I'm going to mess up. And my daughter is messing up. No, she's not. She doesn't know what she's doing. We have got to learn to let go of the faults that other people have. Now, again, sort of balancing this, we can go too far with this. If you want to destroy a church also, just let each other do whatever they want that's unrighteous. That'll destroy a church. Soon the whole church is just doing unrighteous things and nobody's accountable. So we understand that, right? We need to hold one another accountable, but not to ourselves. We're holding each other accountable to who? To God, right? I let go of the things that you owe me, and I only hold on to the things that you owe to God. Those things that would destroy the church's ability to function. Those things which would reflect badly on God. Those things which would reflect badly on the congregation in the community of the lost we're trying to reach. So we understand that forgiveness here is not just a blank check, you can all do whatever you want, but I'm not holding on to the personal angst and pain that you may have caused me, right? Even once you've repented and you've turned from your sin and you're doing the right thing, a lot of times God has forgiven a person and we have not, and who are we to do that? If God has forgiven a person, surely I can find it in my heart to do so, or I would hope so. Let's read a longer text. In, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians, all the verses at the end. Beginning, uh, this is chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-8. through 8. There's a lot to unpack in this text and I don't have a lot of time. And really, I just want to, we've already talked about the idea of forgiving one another. This isn't necessarily even forgiving so much as what? Do not let your conflicts spill out into the world. We have conflict. I understand that. There's always going to be conflict in any group. It just takes two people, right? Can you imagine we have 100, say 130, I don't know if that's the right number. We have 130 people in this room, all the competing desires and wants and wishes and lives and ideas. Yeah, there's going to be conflict. But let me make this as abundantly clear as I can. 
Stop airing your grievances with one another in public. This would apply to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but it would also apply to speaking badly about your fellow Christians at work or to your family. Because you know what happens when conflict becomes public? People dig in on their side. There's two sides. People dig in. They don't want to look stupid in front of a lot of people. And so even if they're wrong, they won't admit it because now you've made it public. It makes resolving conflict 10,000 times harder. That number may be too low. It makes resolving conflict so much harder when we air it in the world. If you want to resolve conflict with your fellow brothers and sisters, if you want to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, keep it in the family, in the group of people that we love and supposedly love, maybe we don't, and respect and admire and people who can help us resolve this conflict. Nothing will destroy unity faster than going before the world as judges. Which is what he says, right? Why are you bringing these cases before judges? You've already lost just because you have the lawsuit. You've already lost. We have to be careful about how we try to resolve these things together. Right? Can we understand that? Have I made that clear enough? Maybe? Hopefully? There will be enough difficulty from the world. We should not add... That's the wrong two, and I hate that. Uh, we should not add to our struggle from within. There's enough conflict from Satan and those who are lost, right? Those who do not have any desire to be Christians. Those who are antagonistic toward God and his things. There's going to be enough problems from there. We don't need to add to it ourselves. Because you are the people that are on my side, hopefully. And I'm on your side, right? looking for the best in each other, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, not jumping to conclusions, not holding on to grudges, not complaining and, and causing rumors and grumbling and speaking evil against one another. These are the things that will destroy our unity, that will destroy one another. We're going to end with this text in Matthew. Matthew 24, 9 through 13. When they deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, not uh, then they will, rather. Not they might. They will. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness, uh, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a lot of problems in the outside that come into the church and there's, uh, what is it, tribulation and persecution and false teaching and all these things that lead to people falling away and betraying one another, he says here too, right? Hating one another because the conflict has arisen. We cannot afford to let conflicts that arise in the church to do this as well because there's going to be enough of it from the world. This should be the refuge, right? This should be the safe place, the place where we can come and, and righteously and lovingly discuss our differences and try to reach a better understanding of God's Word and each other. 
not ignoring one another, not being arrogant, not being prideful, not holding on to things. Because the world will take enough of us away as it is. And isn't this sad? Isn't this a sad thing? How much sadder is it if we drive one another away? If we, people who should be better, who know better, are the ones who cause betrayal and hatred and the love of many to grow cold. As long as we're together, as long as Jesus has not come back, as long as we are open to the love that Jesus commands us to have, there is opportunity to change, to reconcile, and to grow. Always, always opportunity until he returns, and I don't know when that will be. So the invitation is not so much, well, it is sort of evangelistic, but really the invitation is to think about our relationships with one another, these attitudes, these actions, these things that we've talked about today, to kind of think about, am I, am I doing these things? Am I the cause of conflict? Am I the one who's preventing things from being better? Because if you've realized that you are, you can make things better, right? You can still turn it around, and we can still reconcile and have good relationships again if we are humble enough to admit our flaws, humble enough to confess our sins, and humble enough to forgive one another. If you need to do that today, I would, I, that would be a blessing if we were able to do that today, wouldn't it?